<clears throat> ever been real hungry and you go through a drive-thru and, and they give you your order and then you get home and you're pulling stuff out of the sack and something's missing? I mean, isn't that annoying? I mean, it makes you just want to drive back and march right in because your order is not complete. It's an incomplete order. You ever bought something at, at Lowe's or Home Depot or, or wherever and some assembly required and you get everything out there and you lay everything out and you get right down to, to the end of the project and the packaging is incomplete and something is missing? It's so annoying. Have you ever um, enrolled in a class in college and you get to the end of the class and you realize you haven't finished all your work and out of the grace of God, you get a teacher that says, you know what, I'm going to give you an incomplete until you get the work done because your work is not finished. It's kind of like watching the Dallas Cowboys as Des Bryant catches the pass and comes down and the ref says it's incomplete. Are you serious? I had to throw that one in. When my mom uh, fell and broke her hip and, and her shoulder um, last fall and she was in rehab, I drove up to Oklahoma City to the place she was at and, and she was napping um, one afternoon. And so my sister Dean and I, right outside of my mom's room was a, a little sitting area and beautiful window and everything and they had a jigsaw puzzle. So Dean and I put that jigsaw puzzle together. Have you ever put a jigsaw puzzle together only to get down to there's one piece missing? It's an incomplete box. That's so annoying. And there's only 20 pieces. And I, I just... <laughs> Seriously, have you ever put a jigsaw puzzle together? You go buy a, a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle only to get down to the end and something's missing because it's incomplete? Let me illustrate this way. I don't have me. Something's missing. <laughs> there I am. Thank you. So I looked up in the dictionary, incomplete, not having all the necessary or appropriate parts, deficient, insufficient, partial, fragmentary, not full, not finished, half finished or half done, characterized by the absence of something. That's what incomplete means. Incomplete describes something's missing. And maybe you're one of those people, there's people in life who will say, you know, my life is incomplete because until certain events happen in our lives, we feel like our lives are incomplete. So my life is incomplete until I do something or accomplish something or graduate from something. My life's incomplete until I get married or have children or I travel somewhere. And people will say, and maybe you've said, you know what, my life's just not complete because we feel like something is missing. Now, what if I told you today that your life is incomplete? That maybe something is missing from your life? I mean, would that offend you? Would that make you mad? Or would you say, hey, you know, Richie, you're not telling me anything I don't already know. Something is missing from my life. Here's the good news today, and here's what we're going to look at today, is God does not want your life to be incomplete. God wants your life to be full. God doesn't want anything to be missing from your life. And God's going to give you everything you need so that your life will be complete. Look at these verses. Stuck. 
Here we go. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs. Sounds like that's complete. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Sounds like God wants you to be complete. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God has given us everything we need because God does not want us to live incomplete lives. And He wants to do everything within His power to empower us. So the question is, why do we try to live our lives without God? Why do we try to live our lives on a day-to-day basis and not invite God in? And not tap into His power? In fact, I, I like this verse here. His divine power. We've been looking at that word. His divine dunamis. His divine dynamite. We're in a study of the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's the same word from 2 Peter 3. His divine power has given us everything we need. God wants us to be complete. So we're looking at how to be empowered witnesses for Jesus. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we've been noticing in the book of Acts. And we're kind of on the downward side of, of getting to the end of Acts. We've been in Jerusalem. We've been in all Judea and Samaria. And we're going to the ends of the earth. We've been on one missionary journey, a second missionary journey. And we're in the midst of a third missionary journey. And God wants to empower us. God wants our lives to be complete. In fact, let me say it this way. If you don't have the power of God in your life, then your life is incomplete. Something's missing. You're deficient. I don't know how you function in life. You're living a partial life. You're living an insufficient life. So if you don't have the power of God, something's missing. Let me illustrate today from our text, Acts 18. Paul's traveling around. He stayed on in Corinth for some time, then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, and he, he's accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. They arrive in Ephesus where Paul left them. Paul had to keep traveling. He's going to go around and keep encouraging brothers and sisters. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough, thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor. He taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue... When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, here's what I want you to notice. He's a learned man. He's got a thorough knowledge. He's been instructed. He speaks with great fervor. He taught about Jesus accurately. But he was living an incomplete life because he only knew the baptism of John. He didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. So he was living an incomplete life because his life didn't have the Holy Spirit. Now you might be thinking, you know, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, he, he's learned, he's teaching. Good night, he's going into the synagogue and speaking boldly. We'd invite him to come preach at our church. I mean, he's doing everything right, but something's missing from his life. Because he only knows the baptism of John. <clears throat> His life was incomplete. Now, let me keep illustrating. I'm going to show you why that's important. 
Acts 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So he's coming back to Ephesus from his travels where he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Their lives are incomplete. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? And they replied, John's baptism. Paul replied, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied and there were about 12 men in all. Now, I don't know what Paul noticed about these guys to ask this question, but obviously something made him ask, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? They're good people. They're good disciples. They're trying to do the right thing, but their lives are incomplete because they know nothing about the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm guessing Priscilla and Aquila told Apollos about the day of Pentecost. I'm just guessing they taught him because they took him to the house and they taught him about what happened on the day of Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit came down and how 3,000 responded in the message that day. And when you're baptized into the name of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. I'm just guessing that Paul explained to these people the baptism of Jesus because both Apollos and these 12 men, their lives were incomplete because they didn't have the power of God. Now, that's crucial in a number of ways, and we're going to see that in Acts chapter 19. But let me say this. Let me give you a quote. Warren Wiersbe says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance that looked forward to the coming of the promised Messiah, while Christian baptism is a baptism that looks back to the finished work of of Christ on the cross and His victorious resurrection. So, Paul taught them a better way, a more complete way, so that their lives would be complete. But we're going to do a little sidebar here, all right, before we finish in Acts 19. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this. Having grown up in a church, having grown up in a church of Christ, I'm going to tell you there's more to baptism than the forgiveness of sins. There's more to baptism than punching your ticket to heaven. Maybe the most powerful thing in baptism is we receive God's presence in our lives. The reason I think you need to be baptized is because your life is incomplete until God takes up residence. The forgiveness of sins is awesome. The the hope of heaven is a hope that we live by. But you know what? We live our lives in such a way that we don't tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, God wants our lives to be complete. God wants to live in our lives because He tells me this, Jesus in Matthew 28, it says, I'm with you always. In Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. John 16, Jesus says, unless I go, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. First John chapter 4, the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. There's got to be something about God living in me that gives me power that if I don't have God living in me, then I can't take on the gods of this world. 
So the reason we preach baptism and the reason the Bible talks about baptism is when you're baptized, yes, your sins are washed away. When you're baptized, you have that forgiveness of sins. When you're baptized, you become a Christ follower. But the evidence of God accepting you at baptism is, hey, I'm going to take up residence in your life. I'm going to give you my spirit. And I just don't think we've grasped what it means to have God living in our lives. Got another Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his dunamis, according to his dynamite, according to his power. We've talked in Acts that God explodes on the scene and God wants to explode into our lives so that he can do more than we can ever imagine or ask. His work that is in us. Listen, folks, being a Christian is about allowing God to work through us. And that's why you need to be a Christian. We're going to see that more as we look at the gods of Ephesus. Let me say it this way. Without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're incomplete. I don't know any other way to illustrate it than to have a piece missing from the puzzle. If you don't have the power, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're living an incomplete life. Again, I don't know how you take on the gods of this world. We can't take on the gods of this world without the most powerful God living in us. So without the Holy Spirit, our lives are incomplete. Now, oh, I got another great quote. I'm sorry. Terry Rush, I can't remember which book. I used this in class last week. says, if we remove the Holy Spirit from the first century church, 95% of all activity would cease. Remove the Holy Spirit from the church today and 95% of all activity would continue. Because we got it all figured out. We're going to do it in our own mind. We're going to have all the programs and all the plans. And you know what? Whether God shows up or not, we're going to keep going through the motions. I mean, think about it. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, what is it that you can't accomplish unless you had the Holy Spirit? Because God gives us His Spirit to accomplish things that we can't accomplish without His Spirit. If all of our plans for this church, if we answer like, oh yeah, that's no problem, we can do that, then we don't need God. And we don't need the Holy Spirit. God gives us His Spirit so that we have the power to live on a day-to-day basis. Imagine what it would be like in your life if you truly let the power of God work through you. Imagine what it would be like in your life to allow the Holy Spirit to empower you. Now... I know I'm going fast, but here's why Apollos is important. Here's why those 12 guys are important. Because we're in Ephesus with perhaps the most powerful deity known to them. The temple of Artemis. The temple of Diana. But look what's going on in Acts 19. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Isn't that something? We get the impression... That they're not Jesus' followers. But they're going to use the Holy Spirit and try to manipulate the Holy Spirit to invoke some power on the demon-possessed. They'd say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. This is, this is huge. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. I don't have a clue who you are. Which gives us the impression that they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the power of God in their lives. 
They're just trying to invoke the name of God on this evil spirit. So, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now listen, folks. If you go into a fight fully clothed, and you come out of a fight naked and bleeding, you probably lost. I think it's important that we started with Apollos and we go to the 12 men because as we're going to go through Ephesus and the power of Artemis is there, Paul is illustrating that no matter how powerful your God is, the power of God is way more powerful, especially in our lives. So, um, word gets out about this beating. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus... They were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in the high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed. A number of those who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 days' wages. They burned them. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The word of the Lord is spreading widely and growing in power in the midst of, we're fixing to see, the most powerful deity that they knew at that time. So it's important for Paul to tell them about the Holy Spirit. It's important for them to tell them that your lives are not complete without the power of God. You can't go around facing gods like this without the power of God. Now, let me tell you about Diana. Here's what's interesting about Diana. Let me give you some bullets. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, 60 feet high. It was a huge, massive temple that dominated the skyline. It was the center of magic power and political power and religious power. The goddess of fertility and safety and security and wealth. Do I have another one? Nope, I've not saved that one. Now, let me tell you about this thing. Most people will tell you it was a meteorite that came from heaven and landed on the earth it was a rock it was an ugly rock but they believed that the gods in heaven threw this goddess down and they built a temple around this ugly rock and this ugly rock had power over their lives and they worshiped this rock and they thought this rock gave them safety and security and wealth They worshipped a rock, and that rock had power over their lives. They were living incomplete lives. So when this beating takes place, and when people start burning stuff, you know that all around the temple you had all these silversmiths. You read through Acts 19. They had all these silversmiths that were making stuff and selling trinkets and everything. They weren't worshipping this God. They were worshipping their pocketbook God. And so when people quit buying stuff, there's a riot. And it goes crazy. And they're in the the theater at Ephesus and probably 25,000 people there. And and they're wanting some blood. Because people still worship those same gods today. The gods of safety and security and wealth. And I'm going to say again, those gods have power over our lives. The God of money and the God of sex and the God of safety and the God of security. We would much rather worship those gods because they seem to give us power. 
And those gods have power over our lives. But those gods aren't going to make your life more complete. You probably know that. We all probably know that. Because when you try to worship those gods, those gods might deliver temporarily. Those gods might give you some satisfaction. But those gods aren't going to make your life complete. The only way your life's going to be complete is if you invite God into your life. The only way your life's going to be complete Now listen, I know that people say, listen, there's people in this world that have to get married because that's the only way their life can be complete. And there's people in this world that are single because that makes their life complete. We search for completeness in all kinds of ways. We go home and drink some beer because we feel complete just relaxing on the couch. We take medications because we feel complete just being zoned out of stuff. We give power to the gods that don't deliver. And the only God that delivers is the one and only true and living God. You want to know how to make your life complete? I love this verse. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. That's the only way you can be complete. Apollos was doing a good work, but he didn't have the Holy Spirit. Those twelve followers were doing good things, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then your life's incomplete. I don't know how you can take on the gods of this world without the power of God in your life. And I've told you before, I don't have the Holy Spirit figured out. I don't know what all the Holy Spirit does and can do. We're going to probably spend a little more time on that, but I'm going to tell you this. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when God takes up residence in your life, your life just got totally complete. 100% complete. Absolutely complete. You lack nothing. You're not deficient. You're not insufficient. There's not an absence of anything. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Some people have been Christ followers for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and never tapped into the power of God because we're afraid. You know, if I totally let God have control of my life, there's the kicker. If I let God have control, there's the kicker. I don't want God to have control. I want to control my life. I want to determine where I go. I want to determine what I read, what I watch, what I say. I am my God. And the thing about baptism and the thing about naming Jesus in baptism is you're giving up control because you're saying, God, I want to be under new management. I want you to take up residence. I want your spirit to live in me so that when I wake up every day, God, it's your agenda and not my agenda. Now listen, i got a few minutes if the clock's correct. We're no different than the people in Ephesus. Because we try to manipulate gods for our satisfaction. Let me illustrate. I found a a quote by Max Licato. He writes in one of his books, For some people, Jesus is just a good luck charm. So let me stop there. The power of God in our lives is not for our agenda. 
The power of God in our lives is for His agenda. He's going to empower us to do great things through us for His glory. For some people, Jesus is a good luck charm, the rabbit's foot redeemer. Pocket-sized, handy, easily packaged, easily understood, easily diagrammed. You can put His picture on your wall or you can stick it in your wallet as insurance. You can frame Him. You can dangle Him from your rearview mirror or glue Him to your dashboard. His specialty? Getting you out of a jam. Need a parking place? Rub the Redeemer. Need help on a quiz? Pull out the rabbit's foot. No need to have a relationship with Him. No need to love Him. Just keep Him in your pocket next to you, next to you like a four-leaf clover. For many people, He's an Aladdin's lamp Redeemer. New jobs, pink Cadillacs, new and improved spouses. Your wish is His command. And what's more, He conveniently re-enters the lamp when you don't want Him around. For others, Jesus is a Monty Hall Redeemer. Let's make a deal. All right, Jesus, let's make a deal. For 52 Sundays a year, I'll put on a costume, coat and tie, hat and hose, and I'll endure any sermon you throw at me in exchange. You give me what I want. Now, now, now listen, folks. That's not why God wants to take up residence in our lives. And yet for some people, coming to church is that little rabbit's foot redeemer. Hey, Lord, I came to church. You need to give me what I want. For some people reading the Bible, hey, Lord, I read the Bible, so you need to get me a raise at my work. Hey, Lord, I, I came on Wednesday night, so you need to give me what I want. That's not the purpose of God in our lives. God wants to take up residence in our lives to empower us to be witnesses for Jesus in this world. Do you think there's anybody in this world that needs some good news? Then maybe we could show them how powerful it is for God to live in our lives and change our marriages and change our kids and change the way we raise our kids and change the way we spend our money and change what comes out of our mouths and change how we dress and change how we treat one another. And people will say, hey, can you tell me there's something different about you? I don't want to be the, hey, Jesus, we know, and Paul, I know, but I don't want any demon looking at me saying, who are you? I want demons looking at me and see the power of God in my life. And you can have that. It's not a real theologically hard principle to understand. Jesus said, the disciples said, repent, be baptized. You name Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you go down into the waters of baptism. This water doesn't do anything to you. It's not like taking a bath. But the blood of Jesus, it's symbolic, will wash your sins away. And when you're baptized, God says, I'm moving in. And I want to show you power that you've never seen before. Power to take on any bad habits. Power to take on anything bad in your life. Anything. Any God that has a hold on you. Anything. Is no power to the power of God in our lives. That's why I'm in Acts. That's why I want to learn about the Holy Spirit. Because I want us to tap into God's power. Do you think God can accomplish anything in this world? Sure we do. Do you think God can accomplish anything through you? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not. But that's what He wants to do. He wants to take up residence and partner with you. So we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. It's not our invitation. It's not an invitation to join this church. It's an invitation to be one with Christ, to take up union with Jesus and to have God dwell in your life.
If you need to confess, if you need to repent, if you need to be baptized, if you need to meet with our shepherds in the back and go to a private room, we're a church family and we're here to help each other. And if we can help you, please respond as we stand and sing. Softly and tender.